Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today. If you'll give me 90 minutes, I'll give you the world. My broadcast partners are standing by all across the world to give us information, looking at current events in light of biblical prophecy. That's the banner above my website, prophecytoday.com, and that's our effort, our mission here on this 90-minute broadcast. Today, we're going to focus on the abortion issue more than usual. We're going to talk about what the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, had to say this week. She talked about that she was not sure a baby in the womb at week 15 was a human life or not. And then we're going to talk about the European Union. They say that abortion is a human right and must be paid for by the state. We'll take a biblical look at abortion, the issue itself, with David James a bit later on in the broadcast. But right now, we go to southern France, where we're going to find our broadcast partner, Ken Timmerman. Ken, let me, and I mentioned it last week as we were concluding the program, there was to be a presidential election in Iran. I want to get your analysis. I have several approaches to discussing this issue with you. First, the new president, known as the Butcher of Tehran, Ibram Rahisi, has been the head of the judicial system there in Iran for a number of years, now elected as president, and he will be inaugurated sometime in August. What are your thoughts about this new president of Iran? Well, Raisi is a hardliner, as they say. He's of a piece with Ayatollah Khamenei, the supreme leader, the Revolutionary Guards leader. You mentioned his time at the head of the judiciary, which was nearly two decades, and he was one of the many hanging judges known for his involvement, his direct involvement, in the slaughter of 10,000 political prisoners in Iran in the summer of 1988. And, you know, that's not the only execution that he oversaw. He's also been a member of this committee that oversees the assassination of Iranian dissidents who have fled abroad. Uh, So he has bloody fingers, bloody hands, and a hand in many murders, not just inside Iran, but around the world. Now, he is an unconditional supporter of the Iranian nuclear weapons effort. He does not believe the negotiations that are currently underway are particularly fruitful. He's been calling on the current negotiating team to get something in exchange for each set time they sit down with the Europeans and the Russians and the Chinese, with the Americans, ostensibly in another room, in another hotel. And, you know, they met just this week, and, of course, nothing came of that meeting. And he's saying, I don't want any more of these fruitless negotiations. Either we get something from them, or we just cut them off, and continue to enrich uranium, which Iran has been doing recently, remember, up to 60%, which is essentially weapons-grade uranium. So he's a hardliner. We will not see any flexibility inside Iran, either on economic issues or on uh, social issues, for sure. No political opening, no political freedoms, no freedoms for women. This is basically a return to the dark ages. 
Well, as you mentioned, he's a hardliner, and he's going to talk very tough. But in order to be able to get that Iranian nuclear deal back in place, do you think he'll finally cave in and go along with what uh, the committees are talking about there in Austria? I don't think he'll cave in on anything. I fear, however, that uh, U.S. President Joe Biden will cave in because he's so desperate to put this Iran nuclear deal back in place. It has become like so many arms control agreements, Jimmy, a kind of left-wing gospel. They substitute these arms control agreements for other articles of faith. They believe that they will make the world a safer place when, in fact, we know that arms control agreements without verification make the world a far more dangerous place than it is without the arms control agreement. So my fear, really, is that the U.S. will cave in Not that Iran will. You alluded just a moment ago to a coalition of nations coming together, Iran, Russia, and Turkey, somewhat of a Euro-Asia model for foreign policy. Give us more details. Well, you know, we, we talk a lot about Iran, Russia, Turkey, and how they are sometimes competitors and sometimes allies. What's kind of interesting when you look at them, Jimmy, is to look at that interplay between them. They compete at times, for example, in Libya. Turkey is supporting the central government in Libya with troops, uh, mercenaries, weapons, and they succeeded in pushing back the anti-jihadist Haidar, General Haidar, he's been supported by Russia. So Haidar has got Russian mercenaries helping him. The government in Tripoli, which is Islamist government, has Turkish mercenaries. So their interests are colliding. In Syria, their interests are increasingly, now I'm talking about Turkey uh, and Russia specifically, are increasingly coming together. Iran uh, is with them in Syria. Certainly Iran and Russia would like to see the Syrian government remain in place, remain stable. Turkey is not so much in favor of the central government, but but they all agree in keeping the Kurds from having either an independent state or an autonomous region in northern Syria. So you look at these different areas where they sometimes compete, sometimes work together. They do not have an official alliance, but that allows them basically to play great power politics. This is a bit of a return to the 19th century where these, where these countries are pursuing their national interests, often working together, but at times at uh, cross-purposes. I've got to tell you, Ken, it's exciting to me to hear this because Iran, Russia, and Turkey, all three mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 38, that alignment of nations that will join with other Islamic forces in the Middle East to try to destroy the Jewish state of Israel. More on that when I take a look at the book. You also talked about Libya. Seems to me I understand world leaders are coming together in Berlin to discuss how to get everything under control there in Libya. Give us some more information. Well, you know, this is one of those interminable uh, conferences, peace conferences, meetings of world powers to try to decide the fate of other nations. My take on this is good luck. They, uh, you know, it's the, it's the Germans, the Brits, the French, and, and we're also involved in this as well. After having destroyed Libya, people seem to forget this. It was NATO 
that destroyed Libya in 2011 by undermining Gaddafi, who at that point had become a United States ally in the war against al-Qaeda. And what did NATO do, being led, by the way, by Barack Obama, Joe Biden, and Hillary Clinton? They supported an Islamist takeover of Libya and the execution of Gaddafi. So now the same NATO allies that destroyed Libya are getting together in various European capitals trying to find ways to put the pieces back together again. You know, this is, this is the Humpty Dumpty trick all over. I want to refer back to Iran just for a moment. I know that Israeli forces have not taken off the table the possibility of a preemptive strike on the nuclear program there in Iran. If that would involve ground forces, it seems to me that Iran's massive ground forces would make it pretty difficult to overthrow the regime. Do you know more? Well, yes. And, you know, I've said this repeatedly. The um, Israelis, as well as us, when we had a more vigorous foreign policy, which we do not have today, they have many other ways of opposing Iran's nuclear weapons programs other than kinetic force, other than an invasion, other than bombs, bullets, uh, and missiles. And we've seen this in cyber attacks on nuclear facilities. We've seen this on targeted assassinations. Uh, sensibly, we're led to believe by the Israelis, Iranian nuclear physicists and uh, people in charge of the weapons programs. So there are lots of other ways. But you're right. Iran maintains a large standing army, over 350,000 troops, about 220,000 of them draftees, so, you know, not particularly well-trained. They've got 1,600 main battle tanks. and uh, But, you know, look, I've been all over the Iranian order of battle for the past 30 years, and uh, they have never been able to rebuild their ground forces after that devastating eight-year war with Iraq, with Saddam Hussein from 1980 to 1988. Um, they have a lot of men, a lot of old equipment, very poor training. It's the Revolutionary Guards that are more formidable, but they are used primarily for two purposes. One, the Quds Force to spread terror overseas and to be, serve as a kind of overseas expeditionary force, whether it's in Libya, where they helped in the Benghazi attack, whether it's in Lebanon or in Syria or in Iraq and also to pursue dissidents and to prevent an uprising inside Iran. So that is the more serious force, from my point of view, as far as a realistic use of force. Now, here's a very serious development, though, and this is with the new government in Israel. You've got the new prime minister and his foreign minister who've been talking with U.S. officials, and they have now promised publicly no more surprises on Iran. In other words, we will not do things against the Iranian military programs, against the nuclear programs, without telling the Americans first. And Benjamin Netanyahu is now in the opposition, said that is the biggest gift you could ever give the Iranians, telling them no more surprises. Israel has to be able to surprise Iran. That's what gives Israel its qualitative edge in that particular theater. Well, I have to tell you what you've just reported is evidence that that prophetic scenario that I was referring to is going to come better into focus and very quickly now. Ken Timmerman, the man who covers geopolitical activities, he's doing it today from his summer home there in southern France, where he's also writing his next book. Ken, thank you so much for taking a moment out to be with us. We'll have another conversation next week. 
Jimmy, it's always a pleasure. God bless. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, David Dolan's standing by. He's got his Middle East news update for us. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past, as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets, and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Again, 90 minutes is what I've asked for. Give us that. We will give you the world. Our broadcast partners standing by. Now, our broadcast partners are not like mainstream media. They're going to give you the truth behind all the headlines and the details as well. Speaking of that, we need to look at the Middle East David Dolan has a weekly Middle East news update for us right here on Prophecy Today. This is an essential report for every one of us who are students of Bible prophecy. And I would imagine if you're listening to the broadcast today, you are interested in Bible prophecy. So, David, I'm going to come to you right now. There has been an election in Iran. They have a new president. He's been referred to as the butcher of Tehran. I'm wondering how Prime Minister Bennett and, in fact, the Israeli leadership are responding to this new president of Israel's number one enemy. Talk to me about that. Well, Jimmy, on the record, they haven't had a lot to say But they did note and repeated uh, the White House's reminder that the supreme leader, Ayatollah Khamenei, remains the supreme leader. He's the one that really calls the shots. But, of course, they are aware that the new president is also a hardliner, that he's also a cleric. In other words, he's a 
Shiite mullah. He wears the uh, turban on his head and, you know, all of that. And he is uh, thought to be uh, a contender for the next Ayatollah. Ayatollah being a name, it's not a personal name, that is the name of the uh, religious leader of Iran, of the Shiites, and they think he may well be the candidate for that. So if he becomes the supreme leader, then they'll have probably some public comments but they're not surprised, you know, Iran remains an enemy. By the way, Jimmy, there was a um, attack, a supposed a sabotage attack, the Iranians said, on Iran's atomic energy agency site uh, west of Tehran just this week. And uh, the Iranians are hinting that Israel was behind it. It was a quadrone, which is a four-winged drone that attacked the site, but it came from inside Iran. And the Israelis are saying, well, it wasn't our guy. It wasn't us that did it, but of course they may have had a role in it, and there's been other things in their nuclear program over the past week that the Iranians are worried about. Their nuclear reactor uh, in the south was shut down for technical reasons, they say, but there's reports that Israel hacked into it. So the shadow war continues between the two countries, but the new president, well, again, they're not expecting anything but belligerence out of Iran these days. That's why they're so opposed in Israel, and they have commented again this week on the attempts to restart the nuclear uh, deal between the United States and other world powers and Iran. Uh, the Israelis again saying this week that it's worthless, that it's pointless, and that Iran is working hard towards nuclear weapons. And by the way, Jimmy, the head of the uh, UN's Atomic Energy Research Council did say that Iran is resisting all attempts to inspect their sites. He admitted that they are enriching uranium up to 60% and that that's just a couple small steps away from having nuclear weapons grade material to build nuclear bombs. So even the UN is saying that now. And uh, the chances, once again, as we've talked about many times, that Israel will take unilateral action are very high. They don't want to, and they're hoping if they have to do that, they'll have the support of the United States and Europe and others, but they will not. And this is true of the new government, as Netanyahu often said in the former government, Naftali Bennett's repeated it, we will not allow Iran to possess a nuclear weapon, given that they're saying they will wipe us out as a country. How could Israel possibly allow that? Let me take a quick look with you, David, at the political arena there in Israel. Understand the first of many, I'm sure, to come no-confidence votes on the prime minister took place this week. Pretty easily defeated. I mean, that's saying something for this new coalition government, isn't it? Well, they are expecting continued uh, no-confidence votes, and we've talked about this before. It's just a slim, very slim, one-seat majority that the new government has in the Knesset, the Parliament of Israel. So it wouldn't take much to convince a couple of the right-wing members of the new government uh, to uh, defect, basically. But the polls show there's popularity for uh, Naftali Bennett. He has a, a good backing in the country. The defense minister remains Benny Gantz. People say in polls that they have great confidence in him. And really, he is, as former chief of staff, a, a military expert in every way. And he really is a good man to be heading that. And uh, Lapid, the new foreign minister, 
so far, he's spoken out in line with Bennett and the more hardline members of the government. We had a report this week that the United States was going to rescind its uh, President Trump's, I should say, uh, endorsement of Israeli control over the Golan Heights in the north. And Yair Lapid, the foreign minister, replied that we will retain the Golan forever. It's strategically very important to us. And that, of course, is the position of Bennett and Gantz. So really, the senior leaders haven't changed the Netanyahu government's policies all that much, Jimmy. Certainly not anywhere near the radical departure in the United States when Joe Biden became president, basically canceling most of what Donald Trump had done before, opening the borders and on and on. That hasn't happened in Israel. The policies have remained pretty much the same. So I doubt if the government will fall very quickly. But attempts to topple it will continue. One of the issues that this new coalition government is going to have to deal with is the city of Jerusalem. And I understand Prime Minister Bennett is on a collision course with President Biden about the city of Jerusalem. Give us more details. Well, Jimmy, the main issue right now is the Biden administration's desire to reopen a consulate, an American consulate in East Jerusalem for the Palestinians to use uh, exclusively, basically. I've been there many times because it used to be before the embassy moved to Jerusalem, when I was living in Jerusalem for many, many years, that you had to go to that consulate to get passports, for instance. And it was sometimes uncomfortable because during the uprisings in particular, there was violence going on all around it. It was, as as you know, I believe, near the Garden Tomb, just outside of the old city, just north of Damascus Gate. And to reopen it would be, in essence, dividing Jerusalem again. That's the view of the Israelis anyway. So they're hoping that doesn't happen. The new embassy is right on the line between Jordanian-controlled West Bank before 1967 and Israel proper. So it's really right between them. It's adequate, it's large, it can take care of everybody, and the Israelis want that. They want it to remain the only place in Jerusalem where American citizens or foreigners that want American, you know, visas or whatever go to. They're hoping that remains the policy, but the Biden administration has said it wants to reopen the other ones, so we'll see what happens there. I know on an annual basis, the Palestinians have summer camps for their children. I mean for children and then for teenagers as well. And each in the past of these summer camps have always taught Islamic Jihad. In other words, training the children up, be ready to go after the enemy, the Jewish state of Israel. Going to be the same agenda for this year as well, David? Oh, definitely, Jimmy. Uh, It breaks my heart to say so, because uh, I've actually been to a couple of those camps in the past and, of course, seen uh, on television many times the reports of what's being taught and the books and the, you know, they actually give the kids mock uh, rifles and put them in lines and march them and train them in military activities, militant activities. And, of course, the most important thing and the saddest part, encourage them to be willing to give their lives as shahids or martyrs in Arabic, uh, shahids, uh, to uh, kill Jews. And, and again, it's put in that language, just uh, kill Jews, not just Israelis, but 
you know, all Jews, according to a couple verses in the Quran that they always go to, uh, should be killed. And so that's the a tragedy. The kids are learning terrorism from the start and not formally in their schools to that degree, but these summer camps in the more remote locations are always teaching them that. And surely they'll do that again this year. And Jimmy, just on Friday, a Palestinian man attempted to stab an Israeli in north of Jerusalem in a community there and uh, with a knife and didn't succeed, was shot dead. But this goes on all the time. And again, the kids are encouraged to do this sort of stuff. And the armed struggle by the Palestinians to overthrow the Jewish state of Israel continues on. It's been in operation for 4,000 years. It will continue until the return of Jesus Christ. David, it's very important that we have your Middle East news update on a weekly basis. So thank you, my good friend, for the report today. We'll talk again next week. Glad to do it, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Ron Morrow. He's a financial analyst and very smart in economics. We're going to be talking about a digital shekel. You do not want to miss this conversation. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore, or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We move now into our second half hour. We've got 90 minutes that I requested from you. If you'll give it to me, I'll give you the world, and we'll deal with issues that the body of Christ need to have a biblical, and in particular, a prophetic understanding of. And so therefore, keep your dial set right where it is, because in just a moment, I'm going to Ron Murrow. Ron has a background in economics, working on Wall Street for a number of years in private practice as well, but now has a website, a prophecy news website. When I say prophecy, he talks about prophecy, but it's a news website focusing on economic situations in our world. Ron, give everybody the address so they can come to it and understand how you minister this unique way. Yeah, thank you, Jimmy. The website is prophecytracker.org, prophecytracker.org. And I would suggest you go there. I go often there to read, in fact, what Ron has to say because he has some great insight. Ron, I sent you an article from the Jerusalem Post the other day, wanted to get a hold of you and talk about it. The article said that Israel has already tested 
a digital shekel cryptocurrency. First of all, what, Ron, is a cryptocurrency? Well, cryptocurrency, or better term is digital currency, uses technology to represent a country's official paper currency. So it refers to any means of payment that exists purely in electronic form. So digital money is not tangible like a dollar bill or a coin, but it functions as real money for the purchase of goods and services. At this point, Israel's digital currency appears to be similar to the ones being developed by the seven leading central banks. Well, then, is it effectively able to work to accomplish what they would like to have it do? How does it actually work? The central bank digital currency really began, Jimmy, in earnest after Facebook's announcement of their digital currency called Libra in 2019. Facebook's massive reach around the world threatened to become a de facto central bank. Regulators in the world's leading economies became very concerned. You see, it's the central bank that controls the money supply in its host country, and Libra threatened that control. Israel's central bank was echoing the Chinese bank, the European central bank, and the U.S. Federal Reserve in downplaying the use of CBDCs, and the reason only makes their future use more compelling. Bankers fear that digital currencies will take capital away from their internal banking system causing a sudden flow of funds out of bank deposits into CBDCs. The feared result is an economic shock that could cause another recession. So while the Federal Reserve and the other six leading central banks downplay CBDCs, they are actually in a fierce rush to catch up to China. You know, it seems to me there's some hesitancy there in Israel. And the Bank of Israel deputy governor has said he's not highly optimistic that they will move into a full launch. Why is this? Yeah, they're all saying that. And as I just said, they're downplaying it so as not to create a movement of money that would get out of control. The seven central banks of the world-leading economies are the U.S. Federal Reserve, the European Central Bank, the Bank of England, the Bank of Japan, Swiss National Bank, the Bank of Canada, and the Reserve Bank of Australia are moving full steam ahead so as not to be steamrolled by China's digital yuan, which is the first digital currency to be issued in a major economy. So while they're downplaying it, Jimmy, they're actually working feverishly behind the scenes to make this happen. Make no mistake, the digital yuan gives China new power to control its citizens. Jimmy, they have learned in recent months that China's digital currency is programmable and can have an expiration date, giving the government complete control over the nation's spending. Ron, I'm somewhat of a neophyte as it relates to world global economies, actually. I know you're the expert. Talk to me about central banks, many of them in many countries, seeming ready to move ahead. Why is that? And Israel hesitant. Yeah, the key words, again, are are complete control. The nations will be able to track and tax every dollar. With the elimination of paper money, governments will gain control over illicit trade like drug trafficking or human trafficking, prostitution. Any other income that was previously hidden from the government will be known. Ron, what actually would happen? What would it mean to the world economy, to the economic system globally, if they did move ahead with this digital currency? Well... Forbes magazine actually calls it an electronic payment currency. Every single activity that involves money will be under a microscope by the government that controls the central bank. 
So governments will know how every dollar is spent, how, and they'll be able to tax any and all income. Talk to me about the fact that, uh, I, as I understand it, and again, I'm a neophyte, this, what they're talking about in Israel, this cryptocurrency, is basically a payment system. In other words, if you have a bill, you would pay this way. Am I correct on that? That's correct. It, it will function. Once it's up and running, it will function just like a, a regular currency, but it'll all be electronic. There'll be no paper changing hands, and no coins or gold, silver, or anything else. Ron, it could become a currency in the future, could it not? And how long would that take? Yeah, there, there has been tremendous pressure on governments to bring Bitcoin and Ethereum and the rest of the non-government regulated cryptocurrencies under control. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has gone so far as to call for the Securities and Exchange Commission to bring onerous regulation to the cryptos, even suggesting an 80% tax rate on crypto trades. Jimmy, Janet Yellen was the former Fed chairwoman, and control of the U.S. dollar is in her DNA. Right now, the U.S. Federal Reserve is definitely behind the Chinese in developing its digital currency, but a recent CNBC report says that the Fed will provide a research report in the form of a white paper this summer on how aggressively they plan to move. I've got to tell you, Ron, you've made it even simple enough for me to somewhat understand, and I'm sure our listeners as well have received this report very, very excited about being able to understand what this is all talking about. Let me ask one more question. I know you're a teacher of Bible prophecy, a student of Bible prophecy as I am. Sure sounds like Revelation chapter 13, doesn't it? You know, Jimmy, I've often heard Christians say that every generation thought they were the final generation, but none before this generation had the ability to control buying and selling. So yes, Revelation 13, 16, and 17, and the complete control of money is right in front of us. Right in front of us. What a statement. That's Ron Murrow. He is our guy we go to when we have a economics, global economic or financial question. And, of course, you've heard him today make it simple enough for all of us to understand. Ron, thank you for what you're doing. Uh, give us that website one more time. I will, Jimmy. It's prophecytracker.org. We begin uh, posting early in the morning, and we post all afternoon. That's great. And thank you so much for assisting us today. We'll have another conversation down the road. Thanks for having me, Jimmy. God bless. Very interesting report from Ron discussing a digital shekel. Boy, it has a very interesting connection to Revelation chapter 13 and Bible prophecy, a one-world currency, and of course a currency approved by the Antichrist, so that each and every person in the tribulation period, now that will not be us as Christians, will be taken out before that three and a half years, and that comes at the midway point of the tribulation. More on that when I take a look at the book a bit later in the broadcast. Well, that was an interesting story, but John Rood always comes to the broadcast table with very interesting stories. We focus on the European Union, which I do believe, and I think John does as well, that that is the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. And John, let me talk to you about an interesting development there in the Black Sea. Looks like a British destroyer 
violated Russia's borders there in the Black Sea, went too close to Crimea. Russian ships and jet fighters responded to that. But the Brits are saying, hey, no way, we did not get fired on by Russia. Give us the absolute right details on this story, John. Russia has proclaimed that a British destroyer violated their space in the Black Sea. But the story is that is that peninsula is not recognized by the United Kingdom as being Russian land. So Russia reacted, said that they fired some warning shots, and then the, the British... Ministry of Defense said simply that those were uh, uh, not warning shots, but just an exercise shot. So uh, one thing we can say for sure, there was a bit of a incident, and Russia is saying it's a particular way. This is just more of an extension of the attitude for Crimea. A lot of the time we have to take with a grain of salt what the Russian media may be saying about any incident. So, John... Having lived in the European Union there in Brussels, Belgium, for over 30 years, knows really what the truth is, and that's why we go to him on a weekly basis. John, staying with Russia just for a moment, Vladimir Putin made the statement that NATO's expansion actually is risking tearing apart Europe. Tell us the truth about this one as well. Yeah, this is more of, of the same type of uh, incident, so to speak, that President Putin has blamed NATO as being a sort of relic of the Cold War and their expansion into uh, Eastern Europe. But this occurred in 2004, so it's uh, hardly a new development that's right there. But it's uh, bringing this out in the forefront. Russia has planned a Eurasian partnership, and they're inviting the EU to join that. But, of course, it's uh, nothing in terms of a solidarity or some type of strong international coalition. It's just a, a offer to sort of see things their way. So Russia is stepping up and feels pressure. John, David James will join me at the broadcast table a bit later on in the broadcast. We'll focus on abortion. But I understand the European Union claims that abortion is a human right and actually should be paid for by the state. Is that a correct report? This is true. The European Parliament is having a vote that declares abortion as a human right. This is a very, very serious measure here. Abortion is a human right, and then the unborn baby is not a human then? Uh, this is an incredible deception. I want to add that Malta... They joined a lot of the EU initiatives, and they're very pro-life, and they were assured that they could opt out of the EU abortion laws, etc. And here we are some years later. Now this is to be uh, legislation that would take that right for them to have their own abortion law, take that away from them. As of now, Malta is the only EU country with a total abortion ban. So it's going to look like a turnaround. Let's trust that doesn't pass. Let's do trust that does not pass. And the European Union actually wanting to get involved in going against God, sin against God. When you look at the scriptures, God hates abortion, and it is indeed sin against God. John, thank you so very much. This report keeps us up to date on what really is happening in the European Union. Thank you, buddy. God bless, and we'll talk again next week. 
Thank you so much. Well, I'm going to bring to my broadcast table right now Sam Rohr. He is the president of the American Pastors Network. He has a national radio and television program called Stand in the Gap Today. And every other Wednesday, I'm invited to join the gang to talk about the activities happening in the Middle East and how that fits into the prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word. And Sam, this last Wednesday, you were not there at the microphone on Stand in the Gap today. You were involved in something in the state capital of the state of Pennsylvania. Sam, share with us what you were doing last Wednesday. Jimmy, glad to do that because it's really very, very exciting. When I served in the Pennsylvania House, one of the things I realized when I went into office, even though I was born again, the Lord saved me when I was seven, and even though I had heard hundreds of sermons, when I got into office, I, I did not know how God would hold me accountable. I don't think I had ever heard any uh, sermons on uh, what it meant to be a person in elected office, and of course, ultimately go to Romans 13, which talks about there being a minister of God, but I did not know what really what that meant. I didn't know my relationship as a minister of God, uh, really, to the people. I hadn't really understood the, the relationship of minister of God in that capacity to God himself, and how God uses and has designed the person in office to be a part of God's unfolding plan of redemption broadly, and and I didn't know how I, I I didn't know how God was going to hold me accountable, and that put me on a path to actually seeking out what Scripture says, and all of that then led to a number of things which I will not get into, but God allowed us to put together a group of believers in the Pennsylvania House when I was there, who then met together and prayed together and considered legislation from a biblical perspective and. We planned our strategy of how we would vote and what we would say about it and try to talk to the members so that they could also know. Well, all that being said, I've been out for 10 years now, but I have many friends uh, who I served with who are believers in the House, and in, in discussions with them, I'm finding out that just as it was when I was there, the believers, the true believers, those who know that Jesus Christ is King of Kings and they are His through Jesus Christ, they didn't even know who the other believers were. They are not meeting to pray together. They think, they believe they are in a spiritual battle, but they're not engaging it as a spiritual battle. So yesterday, we were able to convene a meeting of about a dozen believing legislators and allow us as pastors to talk with them and share what biblical truths I learned about how they should view themselves, because once they understand it, it gives a backbone and it gives an understanding to that minister of God in government, which we are so desperately in need of today. So I'm just, that's the framework, and it's just like understanding prophecy. When you know God's plan and you know your part in God's plan, then it's much easier to actually do what God has called us to do, and certainly... It's that way in the pulpit, it's that way in office, and it's that way for whether we're mothers or fathers, or it doesn't make any difference. We have to know what God's plan is. When we know it, then we can do it if we uh, choose to do that. Sam has used the phrase ministers of God, and that's Romans chapter 13 and verse 4. 
But Sam, verse 1 of Romans 13, as you well know, says that any person in higher authority and that responsibility in government is ordained of God to be there. In other words, what we're talking about is those who are born-again, Bible-believing Christians elected to political office. They are actually in the ministry, aren't they? They, they absolutely are, and that's one of the things I shared with these individuals. I asked them five questions, if I could share with you, because it helped to get us going. I would say, if you're on the same page with me, how do you answer these questions? First one I said is this, how many of you here believe that you are here because God put you here? Well, fortunately, the group we had, to which they said, we all do, amen. The second question was, how many of you believe that your position is more than just a job? but a calling. They all said, Amen. We believe it's a calling. Ask them a third question. How many of you feel or have felt at some point in your years here that perhaps God has put you here, like he put Daniel where he put Daniel, or put Esther where he put Esther? And they all said, Amen. We have felt that. And then a fifth question. How many of you have ever sat under any specific preaching on God's expectations? for you in office or biblical authority, Romans 13, as would apply to you. And as I expected, not a one of them had ever sat under any teaching, and that was my experience. But, Jimmy, when I shared with them that God in Romans 13 has established all authority, and I used the word that the ranking ordaining actually is a Greek term of uh, applying to Greek military, and it's a ranking or an ordering of authority. Uh, I, I found that's one of the most powerful principles that most people in office and most of pastors don't know. God has established all authority. He, he has ranked every one of them, the home and the individual and the church authority and civil authority. God's ranked them and put it in order, and when we understand his order, then we can function better within it. But then when I shared with them that the, in verse 4, is actually the Greek word diakonos, which is servant, and in that verse, I think one of those uh, aspects in that verse actually talks about a diaconist, a servant to God, more of a vertical relationship, and then in the first part of that verse, it talks about a minister of God to thee for good. I think that describes a horizontal relationship, which is exactly what we are as servants of the people if we're in office. And then verse 6, I call this attention to them. Minister of God is used there too, but it's a Greek word, liturgos, it's not diakonos. Not very interesting. It was powerful, and I understood it. Uh, it actually comes from the, where we get the word liturgy, or literally, leader in worship. And I said, when you understand that as a person in a position of authority, it's your job to call attention to your authority, which is the God of heaven, and it's the very first thing that old King Nebuchadnezzar did when God brought his senses back to him. He stood to his feet, and he lifted his hands, and he said, I do extol the God of heaven, who is able to raise up and abase and put down... The first thing he did when his mind got back to him, right, was exactly what every minister of God should do, and that is call attention to the God of heaven, who is supreme authority. Those little basic principles right there, just, it, just, it, it, it connected in such a powerful way with those members yesterday as it did in my heart. Well, praise the Lord, Sam, for that great opportunity that the Lord opened up for you to share and bring these guys together. Let me ask this question. What do you suggest to Christians that may know these men or women 
and maybe even go to church with them. How should we deal with that type of a situation? Well, you know, I think in the case of uh, every person, every citizen who has someone who represents them, the Bible tells us, number one, you need to pray for them because they watch for our souls, and that's the spiritual relationship, uh, whether it's a person at church leadership or the person in office, they have a duty before God, and that's one of the areas for which they will give account to God at some time. How well did they actually watch for their souls, as in protecting uh, and helping them as individuals to achieve God's plan for their lives as God has created us? Well, that, that is one. We can pray for them. But if we're going to pray for somebody, it's a whole lot easier to pray for somebody that you've actually met. So I encourage people, set up a meeting, go in and meet your representative, your senator, your school board members. Know who they are. Let them know that you are praying for them. None of them are going to throw you out of their office when you tell them that you came because you want to pray for them. They will all, <laughs> that I have ever met, will say, thank you, thank you, I need your prayer. Get to know them personally, pray for them, and then I would encourage the person in the pew to encourage their pastors to actually bring in those who are in office and have a God and country day. Have them come in and have the elected officials come to that office. Let them meet the people. Let them hear and sit under the gospel preaching and uh, have the leadership of the church and the deacons get up and have these people come forward and lay hands on them and pray for them that they would know the God of heaven and that they would do the will of the God of heaven. Powerful impact if those simple things were done. Sam, I want to take a little side trail here for a moment. There's a relationship between what I want to talk to you about, and in fact, a bit later, I'm going to be talking with David James about the abortion issue. But I sent you an article that was quoting Nancy Pelosi, who's the Speaker of the United States House of Representatives in the Congress, And she stated that 15 weeks, she is not sure that a child in the womb of a mother is actually a human being. And then she talked about her pro-choice agenda. Now, as a person who brags about her Catholicism, that's her religion, this did not seem to be an appropriate statement, did it? Well, no, no, it didn't. But, you know, in reality, one of the things we know in surveys even in this country, you know, you have 74% of the people of America say they are Christians. Well, can that actually be true? No, it's not true. Otherwise, this country would be a different place. There's not much salt. So there's a lot of professors, but very few confessors. There's a lot of talkers, very few walkers. And I think that's exactly what she manifested herself. She manifests herself that she does not believe in truth. And I'm going to go even further, Jimmy. It's not just in the case of a Nancy Pelosi. I think, I think that there are many that's involved even in the pro-life movement as a whole in this country have bought into the line of saying, well, you know, I'm pro-life, but maybe there's an exception here. Maybe there's an exception there. Or rather than saying, with God, there is no exception. Life is life. From that moment of conception... And are we going to step in at any time and say that under our thinking, a woman has a right to abort, a doctor has a right to kill, or under any circumstance, a a lawmaking person has any right to vote for any law that would permit the taking of life at any age? 
You know, fundamentally, I think we've gotten off, Jimmy, and I think Nancy Pelosi just reflects the mentality of a nation, and I think of too many churches at all that have been selective in the preaching of God's Word, and we've made exceptions where God has made no exception. Sam, I just want to ask you, and if you'll answer briefly, about the possibility as you survey the political arena here in America, do you see any chance at all that the Roe versus Wade may be overturned? Well, Jimmy, with God, all things are possible. <laughs> and I'm going to leave it there. I do not know. There has been a long time for a court, for this court to have decided um, in favor of life. I don't know. I am praying that they will. But I'm not even going to conjecture. I do not know. But I say if God's people in this meantime were to get serious about the authority of Scripture and our duty before the world and the culture as God's people and repented and got on our faces in prayer, uh, then I would say it is, in fact, possible. Friends, do you hear what Sam just said? He is praying, and if we get on our faces before the Lord, that may be what needs to be done by Christians in order for that to actually happen, an overturning of Roe versus Wade. Sam, thank you for your ministry. Boy, that there in Harrisburg at the state capital of Pennsylvania, meeting with those leaders there, and uh, your ministry on radio and television, just a very important activity you're involved in today, probably more important than you serving as a state senator as you did for so many years. Thank you for being with us today. appreciate it. Thanks for sharing today. Thank you, Brother Jimmy. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we have one more conversation. I mentioned we'll talk with David James about abortion. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central, Chattanooga, Tennessee. We bring our broadcast partners to the broadcast table and one more, David James, as we continue our discussion on abortion. We'll come Mike's side in just a moment. Would you do me a favor and answer my poll question? Go to my website, prophecytoday.com, the home page, and on the left-hand column as you scroll down, you'll find the question. Here's the question. Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14, says that we are wonderfully made in our mother's wombs. And Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, says that life begins in the mind of God in eternity past. Therefore, do you believe that abortion is a sin against God? That's the poll question. Let me remind you, please pray for our ministry, Prophecy Today, in our outreach. And at the same time, if you will, prayerfully consider how you may financially support this ministry. Thank you so very much. We now bring to this microphone here on Prophecy Today, David James. David and I have a weekly conversation. We focus on an issue that is key to the body of Christ, and they must, the body of Christ, including David and myself, need to understand the biblical principles behind the issue and how then to make them applicable to our daily walk with the Lord. 
This week we'll focus on abortion. We've already been talking about it. When I talked with John Root a little bit earlier, talked about the fact that the European Union is now saying that abortion is a human right and the state must finance it. Very interesting. But David, before we get to the discussion, this week's listener's email is in reference to our response to another email a few weeks ago about spiritual warfare. So I think we should follow up on this one as well. Would you do that, please, sir? Sure. And I think it would be easiest if I just read the majority of the email and then respond to everything together. Our listener wrote this, I listened to your comments about spiritual warfare, and I have a follow-up question. First, let me say that I don't believe in putting God to a test, but what about passages to speak about our weapons of warfare not being carnal but spiritual and are to be used to pull down strongholds? Also, in relationship to the passage where Jesus said signs will follow those who believe that they will lay hands on sick and they will recover and they shall cast out demons, these sound like terms that would be used when confronting Satan in a spiritual conflict. So, Jimmy, the context of pulling down strongholds is Second Corinthians chapter 10, and in context, it has nothing to do with engaging demons. It's about dealing with believers in the church who didn't want to submit to Paul's authority and instruction. So it's a different category altogether. Then the passage about signs is from Mark chapter 16, where Jesus said, And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. But, Jimmy, this isn't a template for all believers throughout history, because Jesus was instructing his 11 apostles about what to expect in terms of their ministry as they laid the foundation for the church in the coming weeks, months, and years. And also, you can't just separate out dealing with demons. There's the speaking in languages you haven't uh, learned, handling poisonous snakes and drinking poison, and those things aren't happening today, although I do believe that in some cases they're being mimicked or faked. David, over the years, we've dealt with the subject of abortion, in fact, a number of times, especially when something comes up that may affect abortion rights in this country. And I do believe we have one of those situations right now. That's right, Jimmy, and there's an important story developing out of Mississippi. Uh, Last Friday, Insider.com ran an article with the title, Inside Mississippi's Last Abortion Clinic, the focus of an impending SCOTUS case that would overturn Roe v. Wade. And, Jimmy, I think this is an important story, and so it would be good to share some of it uh, with our listeners. And the article opened this way. Before the pandemic, each year, 2,500 people walked through the doors of Jackson Women's Health, now the last abortion provider in all of Mississippi, and that number has increased since then to about 3,000 per year during the pandemic. And the article went on to say, to accommodate all of the patients, an influx of which came from out of state, like Louisiana and Alabama, doctors and clinic staff worked from morning until night. And then it went on to say, after Mississippi officials voted to ban abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy in 2018, staffers at Jackson Women's Health sued the state, 
citing how the ban went against Roe v. Wade. And then finally, in May, the Supreme Court agreed to take on Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, a reproductive health case that would reverse the 1973 Roe v. Wade ruling. So, Jimmy, this has potentially significant implications for the right-to-life battle going on in our country right now. Let's uh, put things in perspective just a bit, David. Uh, Do you have anything that you can share about the number of abortions nationally and, in fact, internationally? What is the magnitude and the scope of this Holocaust? Well, first of all, Jimmy, let's talk about what's happening right now worldwide. You know, one of the sources that I used when monitoring the COVID-19 pandemic was a website called worldinfometers.info, and that website also tracks the number of abortions internationally based upon reported numbers and statistical analysis. So right now, even as we speak, That meter shows uh, nearly 20,500,000 abortions just this year already. And as you watch the counter, it shows that more than one baby dies per second worldwide as a result of abortion. There's also a population meter on that website that shows births and death rates, and it shows over 28 million deaths this year. But that number does not include abortion. So putting those together, that tells us that every day, 40% of all deaths worldwide are due to mothers killing their babies. And those women are assisted by an army of doctors and nurses, and they're supported by untold numbers of others around the world. This comes out to about 125,000 abortions per day, or between 40 and 50 million babies being killed every year. And then Considering the United States, about 22% of all pregnancies end in abortion. That's nearly one-fourth of all pregnancies end in abortion, and 40% of unintended pregnancies end in abortion. This comes out to around 3,000 abortions per day, meaning that a baby is killed about every two minutes on average. So that means just during the time that you and I are speaking today, there are going to be somewhere between six and eight babies lose their lives. Oh, those are very, very shocking statistics that you have just given us. We need to pray about that individually later after the broadcast. Well, David, one of the concerns that we have is about evangelicals and their stand on the matter of abortion. You and I would think that In general, evangelicals would be almost completely against abortion. But that's not necessarily the case, is it? No, it's not, Jimmy. And I I don't want to get too far into the weeds on some of these statistics, uh, but I do think it's important to understand where things stand among those who self-identify as evangelicals. So I went to the Pew Research Center website to find out what their studies have shown. And one thing I found disturbing is that while nearly two-thirds of all evangelicals do say that abortion should be illegal in all or at least in most cases, fully one-third of evangelicals believe it should be legal in all or most cases. And, you know, I have to ask the question, how is this even possible if the Bible is being taught with any depth and consistency in evangelical churches? Is it the case that theology and ethics and morality and, and the work to shape a biblical worldview and believers has just gone by the wayside? 
And what I did find interesting is the numbers are almost exactly the same for every age group from age 18 to those who were 65 and over. You know, I would have expected that younger millennials in the 18 to 29 age range would be much less likely than baby boomers, for example, to say that abortion should be illegal in most or all cases. But in fact, it's the same, or in fact, just a bit higher for the younger group. So that we're even holding the line on those numbers at all in today's culture, I guess we could say that that is a positive. And maybe there's even a, a, a slight reversal in the trend. So we'll see. Well, there seems to be some major gains over the last couple of years, moving the needle more in favor of right to life. But David, what kind of progress has been made more recently? And do you think that there is room for hope? Well, I'd like to share some excerpts from an August article by the Center for American Progress titled State Actions Undermining Abortion Rights in 2020. And the reason I'm doing this is because of their concern being a progressive website, then there may be cause for hope on our side. Here's some of what the article had to say. Uh, the right to access abortion established in Roe v. Wade is still under attack. The courts are by no means saviors of reproductive rights. The June medical decision preserved the status quo in which hundreds of abortion restrictions remain in place across the country. And then continuing, in Louisiana alone, laws restrict insurance coverage for abortion care, impose medically unnecessary waiting periods, and bias counseling requirements to access abortion and require parental consent for minors uh, and more. And then in June, Chief Justice Roberts left the door open to upholding future abortion restrictions. And on August 7th, the 8th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals cited Roberts as justification to lift an injunction on multiple abortion restrictions in Kansas. So these are important things. And then the article goes on to say, the laws ban the most common procedure for second trimester abortions, require clinics to report to law enforcement the names of minors who have abortions and treat fetal tissue as criminal evidence. And so, Jimmy, these are significant issues. And in fact, if this progressive liberal website is concerned about things, we actually may be closer than ever to overturning Roe v. Wade. Ah, praise the Lord for that bit of information. David, I know we've discussed this issue before, but as we're wrapping it up today, I would like for you to briefly mention some of the reasons why believers should stand firmly uh, against abortion. I want you to do that from a medical, logical, and biblical perspective. Well, Jimmy, let's first think about this from the medical and scientific perspective. I just sent you a couple of days ago a CNN article about the birth of the world's most premature baby who has made it to his first birthday after beating 0% odds of survival. That baby was 131 days early, which is only about one week past the halfway point of a normal pregnancy, and that baby weighed less than three-quarters of a pound. And, Jimmy, I've said for years that this viability date is going to ultimately get pushed back to the fertilization stage, I think. And I think it's completely possible that one day a full pregnancy will one day happen outside the womb. So then that begs the question, where along that line does life start? 
logically and psychologically, if a fetus is nothing more than part of a woman's body, why is it that those women who have appendectomies, for example, don't experience the same sense of traumatic loss that so many report after an abortion? Then looking at it biblically, in Psalm 139, David wrote that his frame was hidden in his mother's womb and God had ordained all his days. In Galatians, Paul refers to himself as being separated by God for ministry from his mother's womb. Uh, the Lord told Jeremiah in chapter 1 that he had sanctified and made him a prophet before he was born. In the law, someone who caused a miscarriage was guilty of murder. And then finally, we need to remember that God took on human flesh at the moment Mary was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, and Jesus was a human person from the moment of conception. Well, the Word of God is the absolute and the final word on abortion. I'm glad we closed with those thoughts from the Scripture, David. Very important discussion, your insight, your research, just so effective helping us to understand what's happening on any issue, but especially this issue of abortion. Thank you so much for your hard work, and please come back next week. We'll have another issue to discuss. Thanks, Jimmy. It's always my pleasure. Great to be with you. Thank you, sir. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to take all the reports from my broadcast partners, open my Bible, and we'll take a look at the book. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey, everyone. This is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. I want to remind you that I do have a website. It's prophecytoday.com. This is a full-service website. It will assist you in your study of Bible prophecy. For example, I have a prophecy bookstore with a number of materials that will help you as you study through the prophetic passages of God's Word. I have a number of books, DVD documentaries, and five-hour audio series on the subject of Bible prophecy. I have a prophecy Q&A section, and then I list the top ten news stories on a daily basis. These are news stories that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And I will give you a prophetic perspective on those news stories. That website that you should bookmark is prophecytoday.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. 
You know, each week I bring to my broadcast table six broadcast partners that give us reports on regions and or current events that may well be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Today these men gave us updates on how we are closer today to God's prophetic plan coming into place than we have ever been. We had an emphasis today on the abortion issue with Sam Rohr, John Rood, and Dave James, which was in essence about the abortion issue, which is a sin against God. More on that in a moment. Dear friends, you may be listening to mainstream media with its perspective, but my broadcast partners come to give us the truth on their regions and our issues, which you will not hear on mainstream media. I'm going to give you my prophetic perspective on these reports in a moment, but first let me remind you that if you had to miss any of these excellent reports, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com, then to Prophecy Today Radio Network, where we have archived these conversations so that you can listen to them at your convenience. Please tell a friend or a family member about what my broadcast partners had to say and tell them where they can also hear these reports. That's at prophecytoday.com, Prophecy Today Radio Network. Now, let me give you my prophetic perspective on the news. Ken Timmerman came to the broadcast table with information about geopolitical events happening in our world. He referred to the Euro-Asia model that Iran, Russia, and Turkey are putting in place. These three nations are all listed in Ezekiel chapter 38. Iran is Ezekiel 38.5, mentioned as Persia. Russia is Magog in Ezekiel 38.2. And Turkey, found in Ezekiel 38.2 and 6, mentioned by the name Meshach, Tubal, Gomer, and Tagarma. All of these nations are a part of a coalition that will be formed as other Islamic states join this alignment to try and destroy the Jewish state of Israel. That would include Ezekiel 38, Psalm 83, and Daniel chapter 11. David Dolan gave us his Middle East news update he talked about Israeli leaders ready to deal with Iran's new president, Raisi. You know, an Israeli preemptive strike against the nuclear program in Iran has not been taken off the table. In fact, the Israeli Defense Force is in preparation for that preemptive strike, even as we speak. The new prime minister, Neftali Bennett, much like Benjamin Netanyahu, he said no way will Israel allow Iran to have a nuclear weapon. Ron Murrow, who is a financial advisor, 
came to the broadcast table to talk about Israel making ready for a digital Israeli shekel. You know, many nations are working on a digital cryptocurrency, which sounds very much like Revelation chapter 13, where it talks about the mark of the beast on the forehead or the back of the right hand of every individual at that time on earth. And by the way, that will be no Christians because we will not be here in the tribulation period. But at that time, if you do not have the mark of the beast and the international currency, you will not be able to buy or sell. Again, that's not for Christians, but for those of you who may enter into the tribulation period because of your failure to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. John Rood covers the European Union. He said, Russia has promised the British Navy they will keep them out of the Black Sea and not near Crimea. Russia controls Crimea, which is on the shores of the Black Sea. The Brits got too close, so the Russians went after them. However, the Brits are saying that never did happen. We do know this is a vital port in Crimea. For the Russians, it's the only warm water port available. Sam Rorg talked to us about a very interesting meeting he had, and in that discussion, we talked about Christian elected officials are actually ordained of God and ministers of God. That ordination, chapter 13, verse 1 of Romans, and chapter 13, verse 4, says all Christian elected officials are actually in the ministry, the ministry of God. David James and I had a conversation about abortion. We concluded everything else that our other broadcast partners had to say. And this is a sin that God hates. Psalm 139 tells us we were wonderfully made in the wombs of our mothers. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5 says that life actually begins not at birth, not at conception, but in the mind of God in eternity past. Let me remind you that if you had to miss any of these excellent reports, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com, then to Prophecy Today Radio Network, where we have archived these conversations so that you can listen to them at your convenience. Please tell a friend or a family member about what my broadcast partners had to say and tell them where they can also hear these reports. You know, every conversation that I had today with my broadcast partners is tangible evidence that we are so close to the next event in Bible prophecy, and that would be the rapture, when Jesus shouts, the archangel shouts, the trump of God sounds, and we are caught up to meet Jesus in the air. And that event could happen at any moment, even today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Thank you.